0: Hello, and welcome to the Essendon People Podcast, an unofficial Essendon Football Club supporter podcast.
1: Hosted by Brendan and Mark, Essendon People is a podcast for those who live and breathe Aussie Rules and the Mighty Bombers.
0: From the casual fan to the hardcore supporter, if you have the red and black in your heart, then Essendon People is the podcast for you.
1: Thank you for joining us. Let's, Let's start, start the, the pod. pod. Welcome to episode 49 of the Essendon People podcast, our round four review of the game against the Crows and our round five preview for the game coming up against the Dockers. So Brendan, Sunday, big event, the red and black came out and got a win. You'll have to tell me about the footy because I'm talking about the Grand Prix with uh, Ferrari (laughs) winning the Park Melbourne Grand Prix there. But uh, no, the Bombers got a good win.
0: Yes, yes, we did. Uh, well, we got a win. I don't know, if it was a good win. I think we'll probably dissect that a little bit uh, later. But yeah, it was good to get the uh, four points and get the monkey off the back. But um, yeah, certainly uh, room for improvement.
1: Yeah, you're right. I think um, it was probably winning ugly a little bit, or you know limping over the line. And uh, I think it was a good, a good win. I guess yes yeah, to get off off the mark and uh, relieve a bit of pressure because. I think had we not got that win and gone down in a close one, being 0-4 and would have been a a very different story in the media this week and around the club and for this podcast, no doubt. So we'll jump into it. It was Essendon 15 goals, 13-103 to Adelaide 15-9-99. There was never really a a big margin at all during the game. I I reckon the highest lead was no more than two goals uh, without having that info at hand. But uh, we'll go through quarter by quarter. So in the first quarter... Uh, we kicked five goals, three, 33, to Adelaide, four goals, two, 26. So it was a pretty even quarter. Both sides' uh, conversion in the 60s. We led a quarter by seven points. Went into the second quarter, uh, another reasonably high-scoring uh, quarter again. Four goals, three to Essendon, so four goals, two to Adelaide. So won that quarter by a point and at halftime, just held that eight-point lead. So not dissimilar to the, the first quarter. I think that first half in general – was the only way I can describe it is two kind of teams that are maybe struggling a bit at the moment where the defensive pressure is not great, and that's why you see that high scoring. Um, so, while it might be good for neutral supporters to watch and see some goals kicked, it, it, I guess, for supporters of Adelaide and Essendon, it was probably evident that it was two clubs that are pretty closely matched because they're maybe towards the tail end of the competition at the moment. So, half time it was pretty even and, um, it was waiting for
0: someone to break it open, I guess, after halftime. Yeah, the uh, 15 scoring shots to 12 there, what's that, 27 scoring shots and a half for football. It was very much end-to-end kind of we kick the ball, turn it over, they get the ball, turn it over, kind of bit of back and forth, back and forth, and eventually someone would break down and it, um, it would score a goal. I guess in that first quarter there early, we did, we did kind of get a, Away to a bit of a start, but later in the quarter, a uh, little lapse there, and they kind of keep a couple goals. Got back in it. Um, yeah, it's just like you said, two sides. You're probably struggling a little bit, uh, especially and especially defensive transition as well. I mentioned the ball was just moving way too easily up the ground for both sides there. And I um, being in there, being at the stadium watching it, there was a bit of. Hard in mouth and some frustration that, uh, oh no, not again, yeah, <laughs> type thing. So, yeah, the second the second half was kind of more of the same. Uh, eight scoring shots to six, so three, five, 23 to four, two, 26. Um, led at three quarter time by five points. And then in the last quarter, it was pretty even three goals, two to three goals, three. Uh, won a game by four points um wouldn't say it was uh one for the record books i'm sure the older uh, the old name of games not getting a uh, getting a run for this one uh but yeah uh, i guess second half 13 scoring shots 12 converted at 46% which was down on uh, the 60% we had in the first half um yeah uh not really uh, much more than that, apart from getting into the specifics, which we'll do now, Matt.
1: Yeah, I think if we jump into the good, bad and ugly, that'll probably summarise things, I guess, a bit bit more clearly. So we'll start with the good. So Matt Guelphie arguably had one of his better games for the for the club. I really noticed his second efforts and pressure um, from the start when I rewatched the game there. So it smothers, chasing, tackling, and putting pressure for someone to miss a kick. Um, And then he had the 21 disposals as well, kicked a goal. Just a note, I guess, the only probably blight that we had on him was he had nine turnovers. He went at a little over 60%. But I think overall his game was actually quite good. And I I think I I can pay him going at sort of a, a lower disposal efficiency just because of all the little things he was doing and the pressure acts, smothering and all that. It really lifts the
0: team around you when you see those sort of things. Yeah, it's what he did without the ball, I think, was what made his game so good. And he's a contested player and generally guys who win the ball under a bit of pressure, their disposal average is obviously down because, you know, they're under pressure. But, yeah, as you said, Mark, certainly um, one of his better efforts for the club there, and I know that was recognised, I think, was on the club website there. They had, you know, performance of the round and I highlighted all his um, defensive efforts and the stuff that he did. Uh, another guy that had a pretty good game and is having a pretty good year is uh, Big Peter Wright. Uh, he's crashing packs, taking grabs, kicking goals. So he had the uh, 10 disposals, 9 marks, 3 goals two. Um, kind of, as I mentioned earlier, really really dominant in that first quarter uh, and then kind of slowed off a bit for the rest of the game. I think that's primarily got to do with he's our, our only real target in the forward line if you talk about a big key forward. So he gets a lot of one-on-ones early and then the Cubs realise, yeah, he's going to be the target and they drop an extra number back or two-on-one and then he's kind of – he's really competing. He's out of position. And something that's really noticeable at the game is because he's he's outnumbered. He can't actually start where he wants to start to beat the contest. He's going 10 metres back from, from where he wants to be and trying to use his leap to kind of get get ground late and jump over the top. And that's sometimes why he's not quite getting to the ball or he's kind of crashing the pack and bringing it to the ground because he can't be where he wants to be because he doesn't have that support. So I, the inclusion of someone like Andy Phillips, the big body who's been playing forward the past couple of weeks, has helped that. But because we're so right-centric, I would, you know, all the balls go in his direction. The defender can drop off third man up. It's just making it a bit difficult for him. But overall, good, good, good game. Yeah, and
1: he's um Peter Wright. Pretty much in every game he's played, or certainly the last couple of weeks, anyway, he's looked like he might really break a game open and have a really huge game. And I guess you're right that the opposition becomes pretty aware of it and just adjusts and drops people back. And I think. We don't do enough to support him. Other people around the ground don't do enough to support him either in the forward line or with the delivery or the speed of the delivery, which is maybe something we'll cover a bit later. So, But, uh, yeah, nonetheless, really pleasing to see Peter Wright. Um, The one word to describe him is just, confident it, it really makes a difference in, in how he plays and it's uh, good to see him up there um onto the midfield now uh dylan Shield, andy mcgrath and darcy parish really stepping up in the absence of some other senior players um speaking of you know zach merritt and the like um jake stringer who were out with injuries so parish had 38 disposals three marks three tackles five inside 50s eight clearances Dylan Shield, 21 disposals, four marks, three tackles, six inside 50s and six clearances. And Andy McGrath, 25 disposals, four marks, seven tackles, four inside 50s and four clearances. So uh, they all had really sort of spread even games. They Not many of these guys faded in and out of the game. It was just a good, solid performance all around, I think, from the midfield, um, supported each other well, we're, we're always at the ball. There was some really, really good work from... Um, from Dylan Shield early, just pushing to contests, pushing out wide to be an option, um, even if he wasn't getting the ball. Uh, I thought Andy McGrath's running carry uh, on the night was really evident as well and something that we haven't really seen a lot from recently. I'm, I'm getting used to seeing a, a dump kick from Andy McGrath around the corner, but that's maybe not what we saw as much on the weekend. He sort of run, carried the ball, looked further afield, and Darcy Parrish was just... Darcy Parrish, uh, there's not much more I can say. Uh, he was just everywhere and... And working hard, so it was good to see the mids
0: uh, get run back into some form. Yeah, and obviously there's some three senior players there, and but one of a guy who's a youngster, but he, he kind of seems like a senior player. How well he's playing at the moment is uh, is Nick Martin, 22 disposals, two marks, a goal, eight scoring involvements. He's just he's just a classy footballer, right? And you know I think he's 20, so he's mature age, had experience against men in the waffle, but. Yeah, I'm, I, it's continually amazes me how blokes like him, Sam Durham, Will Snelling, how we've got them, you know, as mid-season you know, Alec Waterman as mid-season picks or SSP picks. Like we've done really well in those type of and maybe we've brought players in, and he's certainly another one that is going to keep on going. And he keeps his performance up uh, for the rest of the year. He'll he'll win the Rising Star. He's been good in all games he's played. And onto the
1: half-back line now, they also had an improved performance overall, so Dyson Heppel, 25 disposals, 7 marks, 8 intercepts, Uh, Mason Redman, 19 disposals, 5 marks, kicked a goal, had 4 tackles and 10 intercepts, and uh, Nick Hine, there, 24 disposals, 8 marks, 2 tackles and 5 intercepts, so their form really started to return, I think there was probably a fair bit of pressure, fair to say, on these guys after the first couple of rounds, and um, they they really lifted. I think there's still room for improvement and, and scopes tidy up uh, their game a little bit. But it was good to see, good to see them started to run back into some form and uh, having a real red hot crack.
0: Yeah, Heppel's uh, Heppel's intercept possessions were pretty important. There was one early where he kind of backed into the pack, put his body on the line and kind of think maybe set the tone a little bit for the day. Uh, Mason Redman was good to see. We talked earlier about Peter Wright confidence. He looks like he's got a bit of confidence back in the ball there and uh, Nick Hind, he got a lot of disposals but um, yeah, like you said I think it's some room for improvement in his game. Uh, I think it's kind of an important thing to note there Mark that we were the youngest team in the competition this week we had 11 players play less than 50 games and we had another seven with less than 100. So we only had five players on the day with over 100 games experience. So I think that really goes to show, A, we've got a lot of players out through injury uh, and, B, um, it's uh, even though we played finals last year, we've got to remember we are in a kind of regeneration of the list phase and our best football is going to be in the years ahead.
1: We'll move on to the bad category now. So we've highlighted the tackles, which might seem maybe odd at first, I guess, with the numbers. So it was 47 tackles to Essendon, 45 to Adelaide. We had eight tackles inside, 50 to their three. But we're ranked 17th in the AFL for tackles, and that's probably off the back of some pretty low numbers in the first couple of rounds. And I guess even with the tackles on the weekend and last weekend being up around 50 as well, there's probably still a bit more scope. And, it's maybe less on the stat sheet, more when you're watching. There's there's a difference between finishing a game with tackle numbers because often it can be guys coming in when, you know, a, a contest is kind of already done, and piling on a pack, and that maybe gets you another couple of tackles here or there. But there's a difference between that and just that relentless pressure uh, where people are chasing and tackling. And, you know, you don't have to get hold of the ball every time against someone, but there's definitely a difference in that. And I think that that's more of what we were doing last year. I think our pressure and that kind of, you know, blue-collar kind of work rate was was more evident last year than what we've seen so far this year. So um, tackles are trending upwards, but, yeah, we sit 17th still on the, on the table
0: there for, for all clubs. Yeah, and you talk about blue-collar and um, contested possessions, 18th in the competition, so dead last. Again, on the weekend, we got beat by, you know, 21, 136 to 157. Uh, Adelaide, you know, not a uh, not a renowned side for that, especially with they've uh, got a lot of smaller players, outside players, the young side themselves. So, to um to have guys like Shield, Parish, uh, McGrath in the midfield, Caldwell, all guys that are pretty good at that stuff, it just goes to show that around the ground where where they're lacking support. So that's something that certainly's got to got to improve. And you know, I think is a I think uh, the the trifecta of things we talk about every week, Mark: tackles, contested possessions, and conversion. You know, we had 92 score involvements, 65 inside 50s, 28 scoring shots, and only converted at 53%. So you're pretty much wasting half of your effort. It's just. Improvement, please. <laughs> no, fair call. A Co- couple of more
1: minor things, I guess. Um, Jake Kelly in the first quarter, just trying to shepherd the ball out to, to claim a deliberate out of bounds. Uh, just sort of baffles you of why you wouldn't just pick the ball up and play the ball. I think the best clubs over, over recent history are the ones who put a lot of pressure on, get first to the ball, win the ball, create more opportunities. So I think we want to see that sort of stuff go out of the game and just focus on being first to the ball and claiming the ball, right, rather than trying to claim it for a free kick, uh, red time goal against us in the first quarter, twenty seconds to go. Like you said, we got a bit of a jump early on in that quarter, uh, and they sort of fought back. In fairness, we did kick one on the halftime. Sire and Alec Waterman slotted a nice goal, but um, it's something that uh, I guess has always been a bit of a bugbear of ours. And yeah, to see a goal kicked twenty seconds to go in the first quarter, just. It's, it's flat for fans to watch that. So I can only imagine what it feels like to be actually on the ground and, and about to head to the huddle. So um, hopefully we can keep those down uh, this
0: year. Yeah. And then <laughs> we had four goals conceded on the gold line. Um, it's something that we've noticed happens quite often, especially from stoppages. We don't seem to structure up. like We we focus a lot on the stoppage, but we don't have that one man to sit in the goal square because the ball does come loose, someone will dribble it, and then happened a number of times on, on the weekend. Um, I kind of guess you're letting, letting young players who are new to the system play well against us and older players who are coming back off, off, off a break uh, hurt us again. This week, Joshua Shelley, young player, 19 disposals, nine marks, three goals, wins the rising star. And as we kind of flagged last week, Mark, Taylor Walker in his first game back, 18 disposals, six marks, four goals. Just, just got to do better, right? It's just, it, and they, you know, it wasn't like they beat a man and that's what cost them the game. It was just a collective performance, and it's, it's frustrating as supporters that it's, a, it's a trend. It happens all the time. Like we were able to predict it last week because we knew how often it happens, right? So yeah, it's just, just a frustration.
1: Probably one of the biggest themes I think that we spoke about uh, between me and you for this game, and I'm sure other supporters did, was just our ball movement and our inability to rebound the ball quickly and to make decisions quick enough to create opportunities. So it often breaks down somewhere around the wing or half forward, which in fairness, it probably has for the best part of 10 years, unfortunately. But um, yeah, it was particularly noticeable that we just didn't seem to react quick enough and have the confidence to, to go for a kick in the corridor or to go for a kick down the line and back our players in or to, to have the fitness to create space to get someone to run onto it. And there was a number of times where the ball just got held up and it just killed the momentum that we had going forward. And then we just had to kick down the line to a contest, which often that was Peter Wright and it was two on one. He's outnumbered and more often than not, you're going to lose that. So that's why the ball was bouncing up and down both ends of the ground. Um
0: I just wanted to mention on that our defensive structure. right? just it gets keeps breaking down. We talk a lot about defensive transition and how teams are just they move the ball from our four line into their into our back line far too easy. And it happened again over the weekend. I think they had six goals kicked that were coast to coast, right? The ball just freely ran up there. Um where we're averaging 108 points against us this year and we're 18 in the competition for opposition scores from turnovers. So as soon as the ball tur- gets turned over, the opposition side is scoring against us more than any other side in the competition. And to concede you know, 110 points a game, that's that's not sustainable. And you notice when you're at the ground, we rely heavily on our defenders to intercept the ball back Right, but and they're quite good. Ridley's a good player. Uh Redman can get, do it well. Heppel, uh, Laverde, But the problem is, the ball's in the forward line for them to get the ball back. Often we the ball, we don't put enough pressure early, early enough on. It just kind of waltzes out of. Especially after a behind, it's two, three easy kicks. All of a sudden, it's on the wing before there's a contest, and it just happens week after week after week, and it's just. It's not sustainable.
1: Yeah, and I think the commentators mentioned that at three-quarter time, yeah, six times that Adelaide are taking the ball coast to coast. And, yeah, as you said, it's not – you can't keep letting that happen. If you're letting that happen against the the teams who are not as competitive this year, then you can only imagine what it's going to be like when you play the top teams, which we probably see that by some of the margins that we lost by early in the year. Um, if we – Maybe just move on to the ugly category here. Will Snelling, calf injury, he just looked really sore after that. He just obviously just came back from a calf and maybe we needed to give him another week or two weeks or just be a bit more conservative with something like that. We seem to have a really bad history of soft tissue injuries and, we are uh, really good at bringing back someone a little bit too early and then them re-injuring the same the same thing. So hopefully Will's okay, but uh, it didn't look good in the footage that, of him in the room, sort of struggling to walk. Jake Stringer before the game announced out with a hammy, and then uh, James Stewart as well out with injury as well with uh, uh, BZT coming in. So injuries, I, I guess as a as a general rule, not not a great week for injuries.
0: No, no, and um again we've make mention every week we're gonna kind of shine a light on those whose disposal efficiency uh, is under 70 percent you know as mentioned before all we're asking for is a is a C in the old uh, in the old school grading. so uh, Mac wealthy 62 percent Peter Wright 60 percent will Snelling sixty percent Archie Perkins 60 percent Andy Phillips 50 percent Alec waterman 50 percent as as we've said not not saying that their games as a whole was poor, as we mentioned (laughs) to Wright and Guelph will be praised as the two of our better players there, but uh, they've got to improve their disposal efficiency and that will, as a whole, make us a better side.
1: Quickly roll through the votes. So uh, I might let you go first this week. Brendan,
0: uh, okay. I'll, I'll do the first three weeks, so I'll let you go first. <laughs> so for the my Heath Hawking medal votes for the SNP people Podcast Player of the Year Award, uh, five votes went to Darcy Parish, four votes went to Mack three to Annie McGrath, two to Peter Wright and one to Mason Redman.
1: I went five votes to Darcy Parish, four votes to Andy McGrath, three votes to Mack two votes to Dylan Sheel and one vote to Nick Martin. So we'll take a break now. I guess as a summation there, it might have sounded a bit negative towards the end going through the bads and the uglies, but happy to get the win. Good to get off the mark. Bit of improvement, as you said, to, to make us a better side moving forward.
0: Yeah, and when you're considering we got over a line by four points against a side that's bottom four, probably more negatives than positives, but good to get the win. That's it. <laughs>
1: remain winless so it was Essendon 16 goals 12 108 to Frankston 20 goals 18 138 we we're in this game up till three quarter time and then five goals six against
0: us in the last quarter made sure that it was a pretty comfortable win for Frankston in the end yes yes and um it was as as you mentioned it was that hangar a bit, bit bit of windy conditions so maybe uh, the Frankston boys are kind of used to those conditions there but um had 65 inside 50s against us, uh, got smashed in the clearances, 49 to 26. Uh, had had the lead in the hit outs, 50 to 27, but just, just couldn't get it done. Uh, tackles improved, uh, 64 to 44. But, yeah, um, as we were just kind of talking off air, Mark, disappointing to let a side kick 20 goals against you on your home deck. And as you said, 20 goals, 18. If it had a kick straighter, it could have been a um, much bigger margin than the, uh, than the five goals it was in the end.
1: Yeah, so we just go through the AFL-listed players that played for us. So Nick Bryan had 15 disposals, five marks, four tackles and 40 hitouts. outs There's a little clip of uh, some of his work that the club's put up this week for anyone that wants to have a look at some of the highlights uh, from Nick's game. Alistair Lord had the nine disposals, kicked goal. Was pretty quiet. Zach Reed had the eight disposals, two marks, and two tackles on limited game time again. Josh Air the nine disposals, kicked a goal, so again pretty quiet. Garrett McDonough was uh, one that stood out a little bit more this week. Twenty-one disposals, five marks, and three tackles. Uh, reading a few reports, he's um, kicking. Maybe just needs a little, little bit of tidying up again. Just the, just the skills. Just if you can bring that up, then uh, he'll probably be starting to push for a push for a position in the senior side.
0: Um, who else did we have here that was uh, playing that's AFL listed? Yeah, so we had uh, Koei Brand with 11 disposals, three marks. Uh, Bud down back again, uh, probably close to pushing to AFL selection if we get, a, get another injury to key defender. Uh, Patrick Voss kind of played forward for most of the game, but also a bit of stints in the middle. 11 disposals, three goals one five marks, four tackles. Keen McBride. Uh, 11 disposals, 5 marks and 10 hitouts. Uh, Anthony McDonald, Tip and Woody kind of played bit a bit of mid-forward there just with the uh, all the injuries you've got to the side there. 7 in disposals, 1 goal, 8 marks, 4 tackles. Uh, Tommy Hurd, again, as the midfielder this week, 16 disposals, 4 marks, 4 tackles. And Aaron Francis, 12 uh, three from 6 marks and 2 tackles. So um, yeah, it would Kind of multiple goal kickers there in Francis and Voss with three goals apiece. And, yeah, just some uh, younger players really just kind of working their way into their AFL careers there, Mark.
1: Yeah, and of the VFL-listed players, so I'm going to get this guy's surname wrong here, so correct me. I'll I'll
0: go here. uh, Josh Iabach. uh, Oh. I, I Bacchio.
1: <laughs> yeah, he had the 15 disposals, kicked three goals. One, I'm not sure if this is right, but I think I read somewhere that he kicked three goals in the opening term, and it was his first first game, I
0: think, for the club. So, yeah, he's he was uh, on the VFL list last year, but didn't did a knee in the pre-season. So I think he's he's had a career um, at, at Coburg in the VFL. So I think he's come through kind of similar age and program through the Northern Knights as uh, Cole Langford and Gary McDonough, And obviously, um, yeah, first game for the club after a knee reconstruction last year. So pretty pretty good effort, 15-3 and three on on debut for the club.
1: Yeah, that's very good. Sam 40 20 disposals, kicked the goal and had seven tackles. Will Golds, 20 disposals, keep the goal. Sorry, 20 disposals, kicked the goal, two, two behinds. Joel Fitzgerald, 18 disposals, five marks and a couple of tackles. So that, they were probably the ones that stood out that have VFL was the players. And they're the sort of guys that will be pushing for a,
0: a mid-season draft spot uh, at any club. Yeah, so we're currently 19th on the ladder. Zero wins uh, for three games with 80%. Uh, our next match is Sunday, 17th of April uh, against Port Melbourne at 210. Uh so, yeah, I think – I'm not sure we mentioned this last week, Mark, but uh, lots of the games, um, VFL, AFL, kind of overlap there in terms of the timing that they're on, and that's apparently an uh, AFL uh, protocol to try and limit exposure to uh, COVID. So, uh, unfortunately, we kind of are able to get to a lot of games because it's kind of conflicting reports. And I know on the past, Mark, we've gone to a number of AFL games there, and it's a uh, it's really good atmosphere and it's enjoyable to kind of uh, – Get that kind of local footy feel, but at, at quite a high level.
1: On to the VFLW now. So it was round eight, and the winning way just continued. So it was Essendon seven goals nineteen sixty one to Carlton two goals three fifteen. So pretty dominant win. And uh, with that with that um, conversion, it could have been could have been even more dominant. So uh, quickly roll through some stats and three hundred eight disposals to one hundred eighty one really tells you. Sort of how one side of the game was fifty-four inside fifties to nine. We had uh, the the one stat that we didn't win was the hitouts, nine hitouts to Western and forty to Carlton. So their their ruck stocks got on top of us. Twenty-seven clearances though to their sixteen, and uh, the tackles were pretty even despite us having most of the ball, which is encouraging as well. So on on the goal front, Mayor Ray Clifford kicked twelve. Uh, sorry, had twelve disposals and kicked three goals. Um, some good footage of her too. Uh, paying tribute to to one of the stalwarts uh, of the the women's program in, in football in general um, that passed away during the week, so I encourage people to have a look at that. Bella, nine disposals, two goals. Grace Dicker, sixteen disposals, five marks and five tackles. Um, Michaela Appleby, ten disposals, kicked the goal, and Federica Fru, five disposals, three behind. So didn't get didn't add to her goal tally this week, unfortunately. Uh, Federica Fru.
0: Yeah, and then our leading disposal getters were the captain, George Nanskown, 31 disposals, 12 tackles, kicked the two behinds. Uh, Amelia Radford, 27 disposals, six t- Uh Jordan Zanchetta, 25, six tackles, five marks. And then Maria Anthony, 20 disposals and four marks. So as you mentioned, Mark, um, kind of conversion, let us stand we had a kicked... 197 7 instead of 7-19, it would have been a much bigger margin. But I just find it interesting. Both games, obviously, at the hangar over the weekend there. Uh, we lost the hit-outs, or one game we, in the VFL, we won the hit-outs but lost the clearances by fair margin. And in the other game, we lost the hit-outs but won the clearances. So, kind of a little bit funny how, how that works. You know, the old hit-outs to advantage probably didn't didn't go our way there. And, yeah, just... Just a bit interesting how that kind of works at local level. Definitely.
1: Um, let's take another break, and then we'll come back with some club news. <music> stay at the club until at least the end of twenty twenty five. So it's a bit of a recap, we guess. Jade was picked number twenty in the two thousand and fourteen draft. Since then, he's played seventy three games, kicked thirty seven goals. Obviously, started life as a forward. Had some injury interruption before really cementing his spot at fullback last year. So we're obviously massive Jaden Laverty fans. Uh, it's no secret. And uh, we're pretty happy to hear this news today.
0: Yeah, really, really happy there. Always liked uh, like Lav, like his uh, contest, his attack on the ball, his physicality. Um, yeah, kind of as a forward had a bit of injuries, but he's gone back there and he's playing undersized most weeks. As a key as a key defender there, uh, k fours these days seem to be uh, some pretty big boys. But he obviously uh, was really really good last year. Won the McCracken Medal, uh, which is obviously awarded to the players who uphold the team values. And uh, yeah, it was just, I uh, really really glad to see him get rewarded for for three years. And hopefully um, we're here in three years' time. And he's played one hundred and fifty games, and hopefully pushing towards a flag for us. So just some quotes from Jaden. Uh, I'm thrilled to remain at the Bombers for a further three years. I love this football club. I'm so grateful for the faith they've shown in me over the years. I can't wait to continue to build a strong connection with our young backline to see what we can achieve over the next few years.
1: And uh, some more massive news that happened in the last 24 hours was uh, isn't, obviously the AFLW team is about to take shape for Essendon and uh, they're starting to assemble people for that, but as the you know the senior coach has now been announced, George we Cowan got announced as the first signing as a as a player, uh, and then in the last twenty four hours we've had Matty Presbarkis and Georgia G, um, I, I guess come out and confirm that they want to come across to to Essendon from Carlton. So there are some big gets, especially Presbarkis, probably the best player in in the whole comp. So um, that, that that's a huge. Bit of news for for Essendon and and really encouraging uh, for what sort of squad we
0: might be able to build. Yeah, two two young players there. Persparkus at 21 and G at 22, Uh, both have got some pretty reasonable AFLW experience with 34 and 40 games respectively. Uh, Persparkus, for those that know, is an inside mid, averages 20 disposals, four tackles a game. Uh, She's been in the competition for four years. won Carlton BNF three times, uh, won the AFW League Best and Fairest, which is the equivalent of the Brownlow in 2020, is an All-Australian, and as you said, Mark, one of the premier midfielders in the competition. And George G kind of plays that wing half-forward role, um, averages 10 disposals and three tackles a game. Uh, is really good kind of that link player between that, that kick inside 50 and also is that hit up forward. So... Uh, they're pretty close. They've obviously got a lot of experience at AFLW level and hopefully given their age, they can have a good decade's worth of uh, success at the Bombers. So uh, starting to build a pretty nice midfield now there with Prasparkas and then Cowan and, and Guy and obviously Natalie Wood as a uh, senior coach there. So hopefully we can start to uh, sign up a few more big names, uh, I think uh, Madison's Madison's sister Georgie uh, at the Cats would be one we'd like to get as well. And, yeah, um, hopefully some of the VFLW girls can get rewarded for for their efforts as well.
1: Just a quote from Josh Marnie here. So he said, to attract such high-caliber players to the club is a fantastic reflection on the program we've established throughout the VFLW, the program we continue to build as we head towards our first AFLW season. So I think that's really true, the the women's program is, has progressed so so quickly and, and so positively in the last sort of four to five years. It's really encouraging and um, very excited to see the AFLW uh, arm of that now, now take shape. Um, On to the wheelchair bombers here. So the Victorian um, Wheelchair Football League here launched last week and in the last two uh, seasons, the Essendon team has been a grand finalist. Unfortunately, we haven't gone all the way and we've, uh, we've just fallen short, but obviously shows that we're, we're pretty competitive there. So um, our VWFL captain, Lewis Rowe, a couple of quotes from him here. He says, uh, we're really excited for the season ahead. I think we'll be able to be really strong and hopefully we'll go one step more and win the grand final this year. With the addition of a development team, the Bombers have had new additions join the club, adding versatility to the side. Uh, really strong core team. it would be the last opportunity to really perform and get up there before the new teams come in. They said it would be giving it everything to do that and training hard and they're really committed. So, round one is coming up against Hawthorne and uh, anyone that's, um, I guess, followed a bit of the wheelchair league knows that there's there's quite a big rivalry in the wheelchair league between Essendon and Hawthorne, just like there, there has been in the, in the
0: uh, senior AFL team as well. Yeah, so uh, we mentioned the seniors. So, the Hawthorne game was last weekend. We won... 24, 20 goals, for 124 to Hawthorns. Uh, six goals, for 40. And in the development side, 58 to three behinds for Hawthorne. So it was a good win there. So this week is going to be kind of our building into Anzac Day on the 24th. Uh, the development side is going to be on at 10, 15 a.m. and the seniors at 11 a.m. You can catch these... Uh, games at the Boorundurra Sports Complex. So go along, watch if you're kind of a local in the area, uh, watch what is some pretty exciting and uh, some exciting sport and to see how they uh, attack the ball in, in the wheelchairs there. It's uh, it's pretty physical stuff there. And, um, yeah, it's actually quite inspiring, some of the, the footage we've seen, especially last year's grand final there, Mark. We managed to see some clips from that and it's, yeah, it's quite amazing stuff what they... um what they put their bodies through. So people who are in the area, get down there on the 24th to to watch the boys hopefully get one over Collingwood.
1: Onto the AFL fixture. So the AFL's released the round 10 and 11 fixtures. So we knew who we were playing. We just didn't know when. So round 10 is Richmond versus Essendon. It's going to be the, the Dreamtime Clash, the annual Dreamtime game. So Saturday, 21st of May at the MCG on at uh, 7.30 at night there, on the Saturday night. Round 11 will be Sunday, 29th of May against Port Adelaide. That'll be our first game, uh, first game heading... Interstate, if, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm pretty sure. So uh, yeah, we're heading over Adelaide Oval anyway uh, on that Sunday afternoon at ten past four uh, for round eleven. So a few more games released, and know what we're doing. So uh, particularly that Dreamtime game came that. That's always a real
0: spectacle. Yeah, all the all the pregame stuff and the ability to celebrate uh, Indigenous players, uh, both past and present. I think we we all know the uh, connection we have with indigenous players in our history kind of going back last week, we mentioned in, in our uh, Bombers numbers segment, uh, Norm Macdonald there was obviously a uh, best and fairest and premiership player in the back in the forties there and moving on to, you know, hopefully this year, uh, you know, maybe Tipper can be back for that game. And we've got a lot, lot of, uh, like Tex Wanganeen, showed some good signs. We've got, you know, Cody Brown and Josh Air developing in the, in the VFL as well. So hopefully, um, we can have, uh, have a really good win and uh, kind of celebrate uh, those what is a really important day for the indigenous players in the afl all right we'll take another break and we'll come back with some don's dna
1: and bomber's numbers which is into its 25th year in 2022 and is the oldest women's coterie in the afl so it was established in 1997 and um, has a proud legacy of providing an inclusive environment for members to connect and enjoy football, as well as supporting and celebrating the achievements of women in Australian football. So it doesn't just focus on women within the Essendon Football Club, it focuses on women, uh, I guess, across the, the whole industry. So the objectives, there's five main objectives, is to actively support the involvement of all women within the Essendon Footy Club community and more broadly within the football community, as we just said recognise and celebrate the contribution of women to Australian rules football, primarily through the Football Women of the Year Awards, which we'll jump into in a second. And uh, the third objective here is to provide an inclusive and supportive forum for members to socialise and connect. Fourth is to inform and entertain members through communication channels and events. And the fifth is to raise funds for the Essendon Football Club. So founded by Family Court Judge uh, Linda de and uh, held its first, um, I guess AFL-sanctioned event in 1998, uh, just less than a year after forming there. And then that's, that's since become a, an annual an annual event. So there's a number of social and networking events during the year for the for this um, uh, for, for this organ. Uh, I guess this. Network yeah, of women that come in, yeah. And um, I, I guess the, the main or the premier event that they've got is the Grand Final Comedy Debate. So that, that's a massive event. They get a 1,000-plus people uh, at that event and um, really popular. So when that gets advertised and the tickets uh, become available, sells out really quickly and uh, huge turnout for that really, really well-received event, um, not only within Essendon, but also the AFL community as well. Um, that's where I, I guess the award part comes into it. That that's also serves as the, as the vehicle to, to present the awards. So the Football Woman of the Year um, is to celebrate not of the achievements of women who have made an exceptional contribution within the Australian Football League. Um, that's not just awarded to SM people, but all people. Uh, emerging leaders to recognise women who are in the early stages of their Australian football careers and demonstrate clear leadership potential. And uh, the Community Award is the other, the other one which celebrates the unsung heroes who work on a volunteer basis, whether that's at local or AFL level, state level, what have you. Um, so I guess to find out a bit more, a good way to do this is to maybe listen to the new podcast series that came out uh, sort of late last year from the Essendon Women's Network. So there's, there's six episodes there that you can listen to on Spotify or um, Omni. Um, starting off with Daisy Pearce, who was the 2016 Football Woman of the Year. and Everyone knows Daisy's She's a, a Melbourne AFLW champion, just played in the grand final. Unfortunately, they didn't get up, but um, she's very well recognised in the industry and has a, a commentary role as, as well now. Um, Peter Searle uh, is another episode there, 2014 Football Woman of the Year, inaugural AFLW coach of St Kilda. Brianna Brock is another episode, 2018 Football Woman of the Year, Brisbane Lions AFLW CEO and the first ever AFL female CEO. Some some really good content to listen to there. Joanne Eddy, 2019 Community Award and uh, Fitzroy Football Club President. Cara Antonio, the 2019 Emerging Leader Award and former captain of the Fremantle AFLW side, captain that side for three years. And Beth Goddard, the 2017 Football Woman of the Year. Uh, inaugural AFLW Premiership Coach with Adelaide and uh, I believe has also signed on with Hawthorne to be the inaugural AFLW coach as well. Um, now that They've entered the competition. So for further information, uh, there's, there's a good page there on the SM website under Coteries where it, it explains the SNM Women's Network and has some links to becoming a member. It uh, talks about the, the type of events. They just had an event about a week or two ago Um, the first event for the year and coming back from COVID delays and the like. Uh, There's an email there as well, snwomen at gmail.com to go directly uh, to the EWN and uh, social media. They have really active social media pages on Facebook and Instagram where they post a lot of photos of functions and events that they're they're, um, either advertising or have just occurred and um, also just general news for the the club, Um, AFLW news, VFLW news, AFL news, uh, th- there's just everything there. So those those pages are really really active and really good to follow. So that pretty much sums up the Essendon Women's Network, which is this week's Don's DNA focus.
0: Yeah, and it's uh, it's really important that we we kind of recognise the work that you know the Essendon Women Network does. Uh, you know, we've we highlight the VFLW every week on this podcast because it's a, it's a really valuable. Uh, part of the club, and now with the AFLW coming in, and to kind of the legacy that the Essendon Women's Network will have will be born out in those two clubs. You like you mentioned Mark uh, twenty-five years of trying to getting uh, female supporters of Essendon, making them feel comfortable at games, having a network where they can kind of go together, just to discuss the footy, just hang out, enjoy themselves like everybody else does. Um, that's kind of really kind of been one of the things that Essendon has contributed to the growth of the women's football over the past 20 years to to now having, you know, an AFLW team of our own there. So, yeah, it's a strong legacy that the Essendon Women's Network leaves behind and I'm sure they'll have even greater legacy into the future.
1: On to Bombers Numbers, we're focusing on number five and number 28 this week. So let's kick it off with number five, Brendan, Fred Barring.
0: Yep, so Fred played for the Bombers in the early of 20th century, so 1910 to 1915 and then 1918 to 1924, so around that World War I era. He played 154 games and 92 goals, uh, regarded as one of the greatest athletes in, uh, in Victoria at the time. Uh, was primarily used as a ruckman who kind of rested in defence, was a key member of the 1911 and 1912 premiership teams, Uh, was also a captain and played fullback, uh, which he played fullback in the 1923 and 1924 premiership sides, Uh, played cricket for Victoria and actually uh, was chosen to play for Australia in a trip to South Africa. Uh, in test cricket, uh, but unfortunately, that was called off due to the outbreak of the war. So one of the one of the early champions of Essendon, and um, yeah, it's kind of uh, I believe he's also in the champions of Essendon that was released in two thousand and one as well. So kind of real uh, early uh, key player for the
1: side. Yeah, very talented overall sportsman as well. There. So next one
0: uh, is David Shaw. So David played from 1959 to 1968 for 177 games and 55 goals. Uh, Originally from Ballarat, uh, kind of was a dashing uh, player, kind of played every position on the ground, very versatile, kind of plugged holes wherever they needed him to. Uh, Played in the 1962 uh, grand final against... The Blues, which was a good win for us, uh, and then also played in the 1968 loss, so unfortunately for him, but as I said, good career, uh, played multiple roles, just a, a good team player. A name that a lot of people will be familiar with here is Terry Danaher. Yes, Terry obviously played the uh, the 294 games for Essendon for 400 and 47 goals, obviously played the 19 games and 22 goals for South Melbourne prior to coming across in the, in the Fields trade there uh, played in the 84, 85 premierships was captain in those sides, uh, was a three time all Australian team was captain in 85, won the best and fairest in 1982 and, uh, is in the Essendon Football Club Team of the Century on the half forward flank. He's in the Essendon Football Club Hall of Fame and he's in the All Australian Football Hall of Fame as well. One of the great players and one of the great people is Terry Deneher.
1: Next one is possibly your favourite
0: player of all time, James Hurd. Uh, there's no possibilities about it. It's uh, it's, it's Hurdier than daylight. Uh, <laughs> uh, 253 games, 343 goals. Um, two premierships, Brownlow, five All Australians, five best and fairest. Norm Smith uh, was leading goal kicker a couple of times, uh, captain of a premiership side, uh, Essendon Team of the Century, Essendon Hall of Fame, Le- legend of the Essendon Hall of Fame, uh, AFL Hall of Fame, one of the best players to ever pull on a boot. Um, yeah, and I guess was was what, Champions of Essendon, was ranked number three, I think was in 2001, and he went on to play, you know, another five, six years there, Mark. So if that was done at the end of his career, who who know where he would have ranked, potentially the greatest bomber ever.
1: The last one here is a guy who, Brent Stanton, our current VFL coach actually, is, is the next one on the list here. So before you jump into it, he didn't always wear the
0: number five. What number did he wear before number five? Well, he wore the twenty four, which was a smoker Joe. But I believe the first number he had was, I think, it was something in the forties, forty two. I want to say, yeah. But I know when obviously he got he moved to twenty four, and then when the when the five become available when Hurdy he retired, I think he, uh, he said to him, I'll, "I'll offer you the number five, and he said, "Yeah, okay, I, but I've got to check with um with Joe Mercedes first because I don't want to disrespect Joe's legacy and." Uh, I think when he called up Joe, Joe in classic uh, Joey style, said, mate, what are you talking about? Take the number five, you'd be a fool not to. So, but I guess um, that kind of talks about the type of man that Brent Stanton is, always uh, very respectful, uh, hardworking, kind of looking out for the uh, people that have come before him. And so 255 games for 158 goals. Um, I think Mark was top five in the best and fairest for a decade there. Um, w- w- definition of what an Essendon person is. And it's good to see him uh, come back and uh, coach the VFL side and hopefully the Bombers players of the future. Now, current number five is Devin
1: Smith. So came across in, I want to say, 2018. Memory, circa 2018. <laughs> 2018? <laughs> Could be wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong on social media. <laughs> Um, won the BNF immediately, led the, led the AFL uh, across the league in tackles that year. So that really said something about yeah, the type of player and, uh, and competitor that Devin Smith was. And he's since, I guess, had a bit of a knee injury and um, is uh, getting back into some regular footy over the last year or two and played pretty well in the, in the second half there. where We were subbed on on the weekend. So hopefully we can see him continue that form into this week and keep
0: building through this year. Let's move on to the number 28. So Jack Garden. Yeah, so Jack played the 116 games, 42 goals, again, around that World War I period. So he played one year in 1915 and then from 1920 to 1926. uh, Was was a short stature uh, at 170 centimetres, but, you know, was obviously clearly a good player. Represented Victoria several times and... Was uh went back to back in the uh Essendon Premierships when they had the round robin stuff in there in the 1920s, there, Mark. So, uh, another one of those early uh champions of the club. Uh, next up is uh Paddy Walsh. Yep, so pretty much after, after that, he went straight the number went straight to Paddy. Uh, 1927 to 1936, 115 games, 20 goals. Uh, Originally from Tassie, uh, was a left footer, kind of really more mobile, fast-moving player. Um, As as I said, kind of 184 centimetres, kind of regarded as a a big man back then, kind of played as a a follower, Uh, played played for Victoria a dozen times, Uh, won the best and fairest in 1933, and unfortunately career... Uh, ended prematurely w- with a serious knee injury. Uh, third one here is Alec Eppis. I think
1: I think Alec Eppis was uh, interviewed as part of the Dan Any podcast recently as well. So there's
0: some content there if people want to listen. Yeah, he, he was there. Um, obviously, uh, f- part of the famous uh, Essendon halfback line of the 60s. In you know Alec Eppis, uh, Bluey Sheldon, and Barry Davis there. Played 180 games from 1958 to 1968. He's twice a premiership player. Yeah, uh, you know, t- tells a, tells a great story there on the Dan Eddy podcast at the time. Him and coach John Coleman uh, kind of got into a bit of a bit of a tussle there in the uh, in the change rooms after a trip uh, from Western Australia. Uh, I think that the term that's used when you talked about Alec Epis is a uh, colourful character. <laughs> I think he had the the nickname, uh, the kookaburra because he just, uh, he just talked all day. So <laughs> I guess one of those guys you, you love playing with uh, uh, probably not so much playing against, but was a, was a good footballer. And I know uh, later in life had various roles in this I think was on the board, uh, in the past players. And I know, um, I think Matty Lloyd and Scott Lucas, when they were playing on their off days, they would seek the counsel of, of, of Alec and go out and have uh, have set shots of goals to just kind of hone their craft. So for him to make, for him to make himself available to those guys, um, yeah, it's kind of a, a real legacy that goes just beyond his playing career, which was uh, very successful at that.
1: Uh, next on the list here
0: is Peter Daniel. Yep. So Peter played 100 games, 54 goals from 1968. 1974. Um, again, another one of the players from Tasmania is in the Tasmanian Hall of Fame. Uh, just a solid player that made a good contribution over his 100 games. And
1: the last pass player here is Paul Weston.
0: Yep, so Paul only played the 60 games uh, for the Bombers across uh, three seasons. Uh, three pretty important seasons, 93 uh, so 1983, 1984, 1985. So, grand final, premiership, premiership. He's actually uh, one of the one of the best defenders of his generation uh, from uh, from west from South Australia. there. He actually played in five losing grand finals for Glenelg in the Sandfall uh, before being tempted to come over to Essendon. And then, of course, plays in the uh, in the 1983 grand final, which was uh, I think at the time a record lost in in a finals there. But obviously comes back the next two years and has, has dominant wins. And then uh, I guess kind of as it was at the time there, kind of went back home uh, to South to South Australia and kind of played another, another you know, eight, 70, 80 games back there. Um, you know, so twice was Glenelg's best and fairest, uh, won another best and fairest at West Torrens when he came back, uh, was captain coach, played for South Australia, won the best, um, the best on ground award for South Australia, the Foss Williams Medal, and is in the South Australian Football Hall of Fame. So, uh, whilst his time at Essendon was short, uh, it was certainly had a great impact. And I know Kevin Sheedy uh, rates him as one of the best players he ever had at his disposal across his tenure at Essendon. So, if you uh, if you managed to do that in sixty games, uh, it would have been a hell of a player.
1: And the current player wearing the number 28 Guernsey is Alistair Lord, so obviously came across drafted uh, last year and um, really seen him play sort of the few BFL games so far Uh, from what we've seen of his highlights package we're pretty excited about what he might be able to offer us off half-back Yep, Uh, play for the future for sure All right, let's take our last break and we'll come back to preview the game against the Dockers We've got Fremantle on Sunday at Marvel Stadium at Brendan's favorite time slot of 440 PM.
0: Can't can't wait, Mark. I spent all weekend waiting for 440 on a Sunday. Right. The traditional time slot. Got nothing better to do on Easter Sunday at 440 than go to the go to Marvel Stadium and and watch us probably get beat. It's a horrible time slot, isn't it? It's just uh, nothing beats the traditional
1: time slot on a Saturday but, uh, or a Saturday night game if it's a, if it's a good clash. But four forty on a Sunday, there's there's not much motivation around that one. So anyway, we'll jump into the injuries. So um, Nick Cox with his ankle injury, he's missed a couple of weeks. So it must be a test now and be pretty close to returning in, in some form. Uh, would would hope whether that's AFL or VFL. Um, Harry Jones is one that we haven't heard a lot about. Um, had that ankle injury just before the season started so he's uh, missed the
0: best part of a month now and would, would likely be a, a test. Yeah there's some talk that he might might play VFL this week or next week kind of build up through there but yeah kind of not a lot of communication from the club regarding regarding Harry uh, at the moment. We've obviously got the two, two long termers there and Kyle Langford with his hammy and uh, and Zach Merritt with his ankle. Uh, both are about six, seven weeks away. Uh, and then we've got, obviously, Michael Hurley. He's working his way back from his hip, still kind of like like Harry Jones, not, not too much there. And then we've got some guys that hurt themselves over the weekend, Mark.
1: <laughs> yeah, so Jake Stringer with that hamstring and James Stewart with a calf injury. Really not sure on the severity of either of those injuries. It hasn't really been... Any sort of media about, around that. Um, the one that will come back is Tom Cutler, who was out with health and safety protocols. I think he was a close close contact or something, so um, his seven day period would likely be just about up. I would have thought, and uh, hopefully he's he's ready to come back into the side. Um, Fremantle's injury list, uh, I guess, headlined by Nat Fife, obviously very important player for them with his back injury. There, he's still four to five weeks away, so we anyway, going on to the game. Unfortunately, won't be able to see Nat Five play because he's a he's a good player. But the well, plus side, we don't have to deal with him. So uh, Matthew Johnson ankle injury. Not sure when he'll be back. Caleb uh, uh, Caleb Strong yeah. knee knee injury. There is a test. Darcy Tucker concussion will be a test. And Alex Pierce with an ankle will be a test. So there's a few guys there who may or may not come back to face us. Um, that five being the main one that we don't have to deal with there. So maybe if we go through some key opposition players who will be playing, and I guess maybe some matchups that um, that we
0: think might be suitable. Yeah. So we'll start start with two big inside mids there that are kind of um, going to pose a real issue for us with their size there. So we've got David Mundy, uh, one ninety two centimeters, ninety three kilos, and Will Brody, one ninety centimeters, eighty eight kilos. Uh, everybody knows Dave Mundy has played 350 games, been a champion in the Fremantle. Um, he's a guy that always hurts us, <laughs> unfortunately. He hurts us in the midfield, and when he goes rest forward, he's strong overhead and is always good for a, for a goal. Um, matchup up when he's in the midfield is probably Dylan Shield. Uh, Dylan's probably our most senior uh, midfielder at the moment, so uh, he can probably go... Look to go head to head with him, especially when it comes to some clearance stuff. Uh, when he goes forward, though, I think maybe Dyson Heppel, uh, It's kind of a, maybe both have about a similar pace at, at this kind of later stages at their career. Hep is not too bad overhead, so that might be a matchup for him. And Will Brody, I guess uh, Jai Caldwell is the matchup we're looking at. Jai's got some physicality about him; can win balls at the bottom of the packs. Uh, it's going to be important to kind of nullify Brody's impact because obviously it's a top 10 pick himself. He's come across from Gold Coast this year to Fremantle and has really blossomed at Gold Coast. I think we talk a lot, Mark, about players uh, losing confidence and he's looked like a player he's playing with confidence. He said his best game for his career uh, last week, got the 10 coaches' votes, was best on ground. So we're really going to need uh, Jai to kind of impact him, not just at the clearance at the centre bounce but also at stoppages around the ground so he really needs to kind of maybe work off him there because you know some some trick of will brody is that he lacks a bit of pace and defensively uh, kind of kind of bit get get a bit uh, caught up in going for the ball instead of hanging out of the contest so that'd be kind of the matchup i'd look for for will brody and uh, david mundy the
1: next battle here is in the rocks so Sean darcy Uh, against Sam Draper. So both pretty similar size. Sean Darcy, 203 centimetres, 110 kilos. Draper, 205 centimetres, 105 kilos. So both similar level of experience uh, as well in the competition. Um, So I I guess Sean Darcy's pretty physical ruckman. He can push forward and impact the scoreboard. So maybe a good test for Draper uh, to back up and uh, I guess play well against a similar type of player. And uh, I guess with Sean Darcy's tendency to go forward and to try and hit the scoreboard good opportunity for draper to to keep honing some defensive skills as well um and to, to go with someone so that, that'll be a good battle to watch um another midfield battle here andrew brayshaw uh for Fremantle, probably one of their best players there he works really hard uh, offensively and defensively as well um i guess their best mid put our best mid darcy parish on him so uh, Darcy gives away five centimeters and a few kilos, but um, no doubt will hold his own. So th-
0: that'll be a really good head-to-head battle uh, to watch as well. Yeah. So the next one we've got is a matchup, but I I don't think they'll play each other. So it's Caleb Sarong and Annie McGrath. Um, both can play offensively and defensively in the midfield. Uh, in previous games against Fremantle, Sarong has actually done a run with role with Zach Merritt. So it might be the case that you know. Sarong goes to Parrish and tries to limit his influence. And as you mentioned before, uh, how good a player Andy Brayshaw is. In previous weeks, we've had McGrath kind of do some Ron roll, so maybe there goes with him. Uh, but neither of those players are certainly defensive players by any amount. They're, they're probably more naturally offensive players. So it'll be interesting to see uh, if we decide to go with the tagger or if we try to run them head-to-head. Uh, the next matchup is going to be obviously... Uh, Michael Walters, uh, class more forward, has been doing it for a long time and been doing it very well there for Essendon for even longer. Um, has pace, uh, craftiness. Uh, I guess kind of Nick Hind might be his go because he, he pushes up onto the wing a little bit. Walters there, so Hind can kind of match him from there. But I guess when he's playing deep as, as, a, as a pocket player, Maybe maybe Jay Kelly is uh, kind of was brought in to play on those s- small forwards, so that might be a matchup for Jake. Next
1: one here is Jordan Clark playing off half-back for Frio there. So he's got pace. Uh, he's quite creative off back line there. Uh, Matt Welfie I guess is the obvious option here, defensive kind of smaller forward who can apply some pressure and maybe stop a bit of that run as well. They're pretty evenly matched in uh, in um, I guess physical attributes. essentially exactly the same size and weight. So uh, that would be quite an even matchup to watch. Uh, Off the other half-back line there, Hayden Young um, for Freo is pretty smart and and a skilled player as well. Um, Nick Martin, maybe... I'm not not sure exactly where Nick Martin has been playing the majority of his time for us, but a lot of that's a bit of wing. It looks like he's in the centre at times, maybe a bit of half-back. But if he ends up uh, playing a, a bit of a defensive role there on Hayden Young, that would be good because... Martin's definitely got the footy IQ to do it and he's he's smart enough to know, I guess, when to play on someone and when to get space and to try and um, make your your opponent accountable, I guess, as well. So that would be an interesting battle. Um, not necessarily, you know, a physical battle like what the Draper uh, and uh, Sean Darcy role is, but more in footy smarts and footy IQ and who, who can um, outsmart
0: the other. Yeah, I think... The What would advantage Young is by being attacking, being a guy who's an option, being a difficult matchup. It requires Young to play as more of a defender and then stop his creativity as an offensive weapon. So maybe that might be a matchup there. Um, Rory Lobb uh, is going obviously going to play key forward and in the second ruck, fifth. Incredibly tall player, 207 centimetres and 107 kilos. He's very mobile, has a good leap. Um, I guess uh, I would probably play Tabernard, Laverde on Tabernard just because I think Tabernar's their best player. Uh, And with Lobb's height, I think um, BZT uh, probably gets it just being that little bit more athletic than Lav, a bit more uh, kind of can kind of get up in the air, maybe compete for spoils and stuff. But yeah, a uh, difficult matchup, uh, Rory Lobb, just with his physical attributes.
1: Early call here. The last two weeks, we've picked uh, Sam Weedman to run himself into form. And uh, last week, you picked Tex Walker. We're going to put Rory Lobb's name up there. He, he loves playing against us. And uh, if last year and recent history is anything to go by, this bloke will sign a contract extension on Monday because this is the exact type of player that we just, some reason, let get off the chain, so... Hopefully, if uh, Brandon Zach Thatcher's
0: got the job on him, he, he uh, really shuts him down. When you say that exact type of player, like excluding Tex Walker, who's been a good footballer for a long time, I think what you're saying, Mark, is a bloke that's average to above average, lacks consistency. but right? when, when he plays against us, he's wank carry <laughs> <laughs> Happens all the time. Uh, all the time what we kicked a bag against us looked like the most dominant player of all time and then did nothing last week and get dropped <laughs> this week right uh, it's just it's it's the way it goes it's the way it goes unfortunately um hopefully it will get to the stage you know maybe by the time we have grandchildren mark that it'll go the other way we could start dominating some other people but yeah i i, I unfortunately agree with you He's in for a big one this week. And another player, oh, probably our last player, we'll talk about is probably a one that doesn't get a lot of publicity. Um, there's probably a fair few people who listen to this podcast who don't know who he is. Is Michael Federick? Um, he's a real, really important player for Fremantle. He's kind of that spark player. He's really good overhead. I would kind of compare him in in terms of not the same style, but just he's a difficult matchup. So someone like Bailey Fritch from Melbourne. Like I said, different style of player, but Fritch, we always have difficult matching up on him. He's, he's too tall for mediums, but he's too elusive for talls. So Frederick can kind of, is that difficult matchup as, as well. So I guess kind of with his hard running and ability overhead uh, as a kind of half forward there, I think um, have, have Mason Redman play on him and then hopefully Mason can kind of get up the ground and hurt him the other way. A couple of big big long bombs from outside 50 from uh, from the Red Dog can hopefully um, kind of get us the win in that position.
1: Federic's a really good player to watch uh, when your team's not playing against Freo, obviously, but uh, he's a really good player to watch. He's, he's quite a point of difference and is sort of player that you'd love to have on your own list. Um, re- really versatile player and provides a, a lot of difference, I, I guess, in a role there, so... Uh, hopefully we can shut him down this week, but uh, yeah, for anyone seeing any Freo games on TV, just keep an eye on him. He's, it's it's amazing that he doesn't get a bit more publicity. Um, potential ins and outs uh, from ourselves before we obviously know what it's going to be uh, when the when the club announces it. So we've gone with Braden Ham going out for for a stint in the VFL. Maybe Nick Cox coming back if he's fit from that ankle. Um, I guess Braden Ham maybe has just been struggling at AFL level a little bit in the opening part of this season and going back into the VFL. I, I feel like Braden's probably one of those players who is a little bit too good for the VFL. Cause I think when he has played in there, he's racked up big numbers and he's always gone back and found form straight away. But um, I, I think sometimes without an exact role or focus at, at AFL level and being moved around a bit, he sort of sometimes can fade out of games for, for a period of weeks and and probably cops a bit of heat from from some of the fans unfairly at times, unfortunately. But um, I think that that's the I, I think that that's maybe this week's move is just to send him away to the AFL, get him a bit of confidence. And uh, yeah, maybe Nick Cox is right to come back in, and that ends up being a bit of a like for like replacement, not in terms of size, but just in terms of position where we're playing Nick Cox on the wing at the moment, I suppose. So um, that's the first one we've got. Who else have we got there?
0: Yeah, so uh, Will Snelling will obviously drop out through injury. Um, Tommy Cutler, if fit back from his COVID protocols, will come back in. Again, not a like for like, but Cutler's the best 22 player at the moment, I think. So he should come back in and we'll just have to to rejig the side around there. Uh, Another potential inclusion is probably... um, Ben Hobbs in for for Tex Wanganin. It seems every week, Mark, we've said, oh, yeah, Ben Hobbs in, Ben Hobbs in, and he hasn't made his way into the side yet. Um, But I think Tex, you know, he's played, what, two games at the level now. He's kind of impacting defensively, but he's not winning a lot of disposal. Uh, He's kind of provided a bit of spark when he gets near the ball, but he's just unfortunately not getting near it uh, a lot there. Uh, so it might be a good opportunity for him to go back to FIFA level, work on some things. He now knows what he has to do at AFL level. He knows the pace of the game at, at senior football. So um, for a guy that hasn't played football for two years, I think he's done pretty well coming in and playing um, the games that he's played already. So, yeah, maybe even go away. If level and uh, Hobbsy can, can come in there. Yeah, and um, I, I guess there's yeah maybe a few guys with a bit of a question mark as to whether they're
1: going to come back yet. Yeah, we've got Aaron Francis playing the BFL, kicked three goals, three on the weekend. So, you know, do we look to do we look to add a bit of experience and size up forward? Maybe, maybe not. It remains to be seen. I, I think more than likely that won't happen uh, yet this week. I guess interesting to see as well whether Andy Phillips gets left in the side. Do we continue with the two ruck? When I, mean, I really like it, I think it's been working well. Um, bit of an option up forward as well gives a bit of a chop out to to Peter Wright it means that he doesn't need to to ruck really in the games as well. So I, I like that and hope it continues. But um, yeah, interesting to see how a few of those things play out uh, this week as well. Well, I think that's I think that's us done uh, for this week. Unless you've got anything else to add.
0: No, I just wanted to, to wish everyone a, a very happy and safe Easter. Obviously, people um, like to get away at this time of year, go up the coast, you know, all the type of things. So I hope everyone stays, stays safe on the roads and, you know, enjoy some uh, some time away with loved ones.
1: Yeah, well said. Definitely, uh, yeah, stay, stay safe out there on the roads and all of that and um, enjoy a, a, a bit of a break. All right, well, with that, Go Dons. Go Bummers. <laughs>